Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. It's so good to have all you guys here today. Uh, Let me just begin by saying this. Uh, My prayer really for today is simply this, that uh, if you are, you know, wherever you're really at in your journey with God, if you're just starting or if you've been walking with God for a number of years, uh, that you'll find today's worship and message as simply as a source of encouragement. And, uh, and I'll go ahead and kind of tell you, there'll be some pieces that'll be challenging, uh, but that's all right. Sometimes it's good to have some of that too, right? Amen. So let's, uh, let's pick up actually where we ended last week uh, by continuing to talk about the heart of a disciple. So if you're taking notes this morning, and I'd always encourage you to do so because it kind of helps it stick, uh, this is the heart of a disciple part two. To do so, I want to begin by actually reading what many consider the most famous verse on discipleship, and that is Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. If you can kind of get the picture, this is uh, basically before Jesus. Uh, Obviously, he's already resurrected. He's about to ascend into heaven. And before he leaves, he gives this kind of like last bit of instructions to his disciples. And he says this. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. Can we just say that? All authority. Says it, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Verse 19 says, Therefore, in other words, because of this authority, go and make disciples of all nations. If I can pause there for a moment, and we'll pick the rest of the scripture up in a second. But when we read those simple words there, what was Jesus really telling us? Uh, to answer that, I want to reiterate a point that I made last week, and it's simply this that, that Jesus is telling us that he. Get this, not our parents, not our spouse, not uh, our friends, not uh, our favorite preacher, not our favorite author or blogger, not our favorite church or even our favorite denomination. And guess what, guys? Not even ourselves, but he alone, Jesus alone has been given all authority from God the Father to define who a disciple is or who a disciple should be and what a disciple should look like. Is that true? So he is the one that defines our identity. That's the who. Our who is attached to our identity. And he is the one who decides the standard, that's the what, and how we as disciples should think, feel, speak, and act. Now, where did Jesus exercise his authority? Because obviously he just said, the Father's given me authority, all authority. Where did he exercise that? Where did he exercise his authority in telling us who he wants us to be, once again, and what he expects from us as his followers? Uh, I believe the undeniable answer to that question is found in the same portion of Scripture, Matthew 28, 19-20. Let's keep reading. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Here's our answer. And teaching them. Somebody say, teaching them. So Jesus used his authority that he was given by what he taught. And so who's them? It's anybody, us included, that wants to become one of his disciples. So it says, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded or everything I have taught you. Now, to me, the cool part at this last portion here in verse 20 is this is that thankfully for all of us, the Holy Spirit didn't let the teachings of Jesus fall through the cracks of time. 
Thank God for that, right? The Bible makes it really clear that the Holy Spirit came upon men and women, but men in this particular instance, uh, basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he inspired them to write down the teachings that Jesus is referring to here in verse 20. Now, what teachings is that? It's what you and I historically and commonly refer to as the Gospels. Now, if I can make a point here, I don't know about you, but... When you read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, uh, one of the things I like the most about when you read this is that you discover simply, simply this, that Jesus didn't beat around the bush. Like, I don't know why, why, why we so often in church act like Jesus beat around the bush. Jesus did not beat around the bush. He didn't shy away from saying strong things. In fact, uh, I'll say it this way. He wasn't passive and he wasn't vague when it came to the topics of who he wanted us to be and what he expects from us as his followers. Right? It's, if you can imagine this way, it's like starting a new job and you go work there and there's no orientation. Right, and then after your uh, whatever ninety-day, you know, probation uh, period of time, they say, "Hey, by the way, uh, you didn't make the cut. Uh, We're going to have to fire you." And you go, "Well, what was the deal?" They say, "One, two, three. You dropped the ball there." And you say, "This. Well, I never had an orientation. I didn't even know that's what I was supposed to do. I was packing boxes, and you wanted me to call somebody on the phone." Am I making sense? I'm making this up as I go. So it's (laughs) up. So there's this idea that it's this, that, man, guess what? Jesus hasn't done that to us. He gave us an orientation as believers, and it's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen? So last week we talked about three things that God expects from us as we follow him as his disciples. And the first one was, was this. If you, if you decided you're going to step up, you're going to answer the call, the first thing he's asking from you is this, is that you would have unwavering loyalty. That you would have unwavering loyalty. In other words, that you wouldn't try to serve uh, this thing on Tuesday and then you run back over here because it's Sunday and you try to serve him. He made it really clear that we cannot serve, we cannot worship, We cannot follow two masters, right? If we're going to follow him, we need to follow him. And I'll reiterate what we read uh, last week. I believe it was out of Kings where uh, Elijah said this, if God is God, follow him. If Bell is God, follow him. And the bottom line is God is God. So let's follow him, right? So the second thing he wants from us as his believers or followers is he wants us to have an undivided love, He wants us to have an undivided love. Listen, there's not a single person in this room that's ever been married or that is married that somehow in your heart you go, man, I hope my husband loves me on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and I'm okay if he goes loves that other chick on the rest of the days of the week. (laughs) I'm probably going to get out, right? (laughs) Yep. So, listen, he wants undivided love, right? So he told us that the greatest command is what? Is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. With all. Right. And so by doing so, when you're when you're so in love with Jesus, right, when you realize he's rescued you and saved you and you realize, man, that you have an opportunity to live a life worthy of repentance. And when you're so in love with him, guess what? All the other relationships that are pulling and vying for your attention, they all really become secondary. So because you're so caught up in his gaze. Amen. So the third thing that he wants from us is this is he wants a heart that puts him first. A heart that puts him first. I'll say it this way. I don't know why I'm on analogies right now, but we're going with it. So it's like this. It's like, have you ever tried to talk to someone, and and the whole time you're talking to them, they're they're like this? It's like, welcome to marriage, right? (laughs) And you're trying to talk, pouring out your heart. 
confessing your sins. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so you're having these moments, right? You're just trying to talk, right? Just trying to connect. And they're so busy looking at a phone you can't connect. Why? Because at that moment, truthfully, the phone's the top priority, not you. Right? And what Jesus is saying is, man, I want to be the top priority in your life. And, and listen, there's something about when you become, when you make God the top priority, all those things that where we tend to procrastinate and put off who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do, all those things kind of go out the window. Why? Because we're so caught up in him. He's our top priority. We can't help but to come those things and do those things. Yeah. Amen? All right, so with all that said today, that was recap, I want to talk about three things, uh, give you three things that I believe that are really just proofs that every disciple should have in their lives. In other words, there's three proofs, three things of evidence that we should have if we're going to prove that we are a disciple, okay? They, in other words, they mark us. Now, I'll say it this way, that's like uh, if somebody rolls in the door and, and they got hair down to here and they say, I got a haircut this week, and their hair looks the exact same length as it was last week, there's no evidence they got a haircut, right? And so, so many people are running around, and I think statistics are like, I don't know, I, I, read, a, I read a thing years ago, it said 90% of America believes in God, 90%, Okay. And, and I, A, what God? But, but listen, of, of it, I think it's like 60-something say that they're Christians. And I think out of 60-something percent of people that say they're Christians, at the end of the day, man, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? There should be evidence in our lives, man, that we know who we say that we know. Amen? All right, so I want to uh, point out three proofs, highlight three proofs. Uh, from a portion of scripture that's in John 15. Uh, this is a lengthy, we're going to read 17 verses, and uh, we're not going to really revisit again, but I want to just, I want you just to look, because there's three things that should pop out to you here as we go, and then we'll point them out in a different way. So starting in verse 1, Jesus talking. He said, I'm the true grapevine. He says, and my father is the gardener. It says, he cuts off or he lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. It says, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. That actually means like the stump, the main part of the tree, and you are the branches. It says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Verse 8 says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. And he says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. It's an incredible verse. Verse 16 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and do what? Produce lasting fruit, eternal fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Last verse, this is my command, love 
each other. So the first proof, the first thing I want to highlight, the first evidence that I want to point out that we should have as followers of Jesus is this, is number one, is that we obey him. Guys, I know that sounds so simple and so basic, but man, we miss the boat more often than not, right? That we would obey him. So when it comes to the topic of obeying God, we need to understand that obedience comes from two things. Don't miss this, okay? It doesn't come from the pizza that you ate last night, uh, you know, and how you're feeling today. Uh, It doesn't matter about all those things. What simply matters is our obedience really comes from two things. It comes from obeying God's word and obeying God's voice. Obeying God's word and obeying God's voice. Are you all with me? So this means, as disciples, our level of obedience is ultimately determined by our willingness to come underneath, our willingness to submit to the authority of God's Word and His voice or His leading in our lives. So often I've met people that they'll say that they heard from God, but then when you ask them, what did God say, you'll find out that it doesn't match the Word. And I want you to know that if what God is saying doesn't match the Word, it wasn't God speaking. Okay, so you got to understand that if we're going to obey God, that we got to make sure the connection's there. But just equally as we obey uh, the red, as they say in the old days, the words of Jesus, we got to make sure that what uh, comes in agreement with that, what God speaks to our spirit, man, we got to follow that too. Amen? Amen. So the question I have for all of us today is this, and it's pretty simple, is at what level or at what percentage, if we could put it on there, do we really think that Jesus wants us to obey him at? So <laughs> what a great question, huh? So, so li- listen, so watch this. Uh, all of us readily know the answer to that, okay? And, uh, and, and I'll just kind of leave it at there that we know, we know the answer to that, okay? But, but I just think this, man, how can we make this relatable? I was asking myself, how can I make this relatable to all of us? Let me just start off and ask you a question. Uh, how many of you guys in here have a, at least one child? Come on, wave your hand at me if you, if you got a kid. All right. Some of y'all, man, listen, here's what's awesome. As a pastor, I know most of y'all, right? And I said, uh, you know, who y'all got a kid? Like, you didn't want to claim them. Like, what, what's going on? I mean, like, yeah, that's mine, right? Okay, look. So, so everybody that, you know, hesitated putting your hand up, we'll put you on the prayer list. All right? So, anyways, the point is this. Listen, as, uh, as you know, Jennifer and I, right, we got, we got four kids, okay? And uh, they, their ages range from uh, 5 to 13 years old, the tall one there. So, uh, listen, I want you to know today that in my 13 years of parenting, I've never looked at Jen and said, you know, babe, it, I, I just, you know, if there's somehow, man, I just wish we could get our kids to obey us 30% of the time. Like, man, if we could somehow get them to obey us 30% of the time, I'm telling you, I'd be so proud of them. Like, I'd be pleased. Listen, I don't know about you, but to me, that, that statement would be ridiculous, right? Like, like, what good parent in their right mind would ever think that 30% or 50% obedience would be acceptable? Now, now listen, as parents, do we expect our kids to be perfect? The answer is no, but it sure would be appreciated, right? <laughs> like, like, why can't you do that, kids, right? Do, do that for me, right? 
So now I'm going to step out on a limb here and I'm going to assume that uh, 0% of us parents that are in the room today have ever said this to ourselves either. That we've said, you know, if I could just get my son or if I could just get my daughter to obey me in this one area of their life, just this, just this one area right here that we're working really hard on, I could really care less what they do in the other nine. Like, as long as they behave there, they can act like an absolute idiot over there. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm thinking probably not. Like, like literally, it, has anybody ever thought that? Yeah, me either. So, li- listen, I'm just going to say that uh, truth is, is we want them to obey in every area. Right? And so here's my point. If we as parents desire for our kids to obey us 100% of the time, no matter the situation or no matter the area, right, of of discussion, listen, how much more does God want us to, uh, as his kids, obey him? Like, how much does he want us to obey? So, listen, so to answer our question going back, what's the percentage that he wants us to obey yet. The answer is found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. We read this a few minutes ago. There, go for and make disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey not 30%, not 50%, not even, but not even 99% Jesus, but no, everything I have commanded you. All right, so I want to I wanna show you something today. If you, if you can't open your heart up here. Because I think the truth is, is you and I hear that and immediately every one of us go, impossible. Yeah, my wife is super saved. She didn't think that. I, I think that. <laughs> like, impossible, impossible, right? And, and so if I could just say this, I think we struggle with 100%, that level of obedience. And in my opinion, there's a lot of reasons why we struggle, but there's one I want to point out today. I think we struggle in obeying in every situation, in every area of our lives. Please hear me, because for a lack of better words, I think we doubt him. I know y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Listen, that we doubt him. And let me, let me explain why I, why I say that. Staying in the theme of a parent and child relationship, all right? Like, how many times, think about your children at the moment, the ones you like and the ones you don't like, okay? Um, Think about how many times that you've asked your son or your daughter to do something, and immediately they say this, why? Did you feel the blood boil? That was awesome there. Right? Like, so even this, it's like, how many times have we asked our children to do a simple task, Right, we you know we want to go. I've worked all day. You know all that stuff, right? But but it's like a simple task, and they act like that simple thing that's going to take them a few minutes is the biggest burden in the world. Like we might as well ask them to take a shovel and go dig a hole to China in the backyard, right? It's like you know our our third child tends to have a work ethic a little bit different than the other three, and and so I love him. Um, but, but listen, I, it's like my man there, like one day I say, hey man, look, all right, bro, you, you, you six years old, it's time for you to get some chores. Say, I, I know how old he is now. Okay. She's cr- correcting me. The front row always corrects me. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I know. All right. So, so this was, this was like a year, year and a half ago. And I said, and I said, look, look, man, it's time for you to get a chore. You got to earn your keep around here. Right. Word. Cause everybody keeps cleaning up after you. Okay. So, so I said, okay, look, man, so up here on the counter, we have, we have basically things for our mulch pile. And when that thing gets full, you just need to take that, and you walk out the front door, and you need to walk those 15 yards to the woods right there, and you need to dump it. 
I don't feel like I'm asking much, right? And, and when you bring it back, you need to get a new bag, you need to throw that bag in the trash, you need to put a new trash bag in and just put it on the counter. I mean, we're talking three minutes max. My man, oh, he goes, he, he literally, he ran from the kitchen and he went by our fireplace and he sat down on the hearth and he goes, oh, he's crying like crocodile tears. He goes, I hate my job. such a burden <laughs> right so listen so once again how many times have they said why and how many times have they gotten you know acted like it's such a burden it's like a million times and it's so frustrating as a parent in fact sometimes you wish you could just poke an eye out or something right just oh don't call dhs all right here we go here's the heart of what i'm saying people are going baby i'd never do that to you Quit lying. All right, here we go. So listen, the, the reason it's so frustrating is because of this. Is because as parents, we wish our kids would just understand how much we love them. And because we love them, they, we wish that they would just trust us and believe that we're actually trying to do what's best for them. Like, why am I saying take this out? Is it because I can't do it? No, it's because one day you need to get up out of my house. Right, And you need to be able to take care of yourself, and you need to become a leader that has a work ethic. And guess what? We're starting now. Why? Because I want what's best for you, because living in my basement and eating pizza roll-ups is not the best for you. Okay? True, right? Amen. If you got a 28-year-old at home, 28-year-old still at home, we'll help him launch. All right, here we go. <laughs> I'm kidding. Love your baby. All right, here we go. So... I'm get myself in trouble. So, so I just think this. That's like, man, ha, have we ever, literally, have we, okay, forget about our kids for a moment. Have we ever stopped long enough and just maybe, just maybe think the same goes for God? That, that he wishes that we would quit doubting his love for us. Please hear what I'm saying. And that we would just trust that through our obedience, he is trying to position us to be in a place so he can release his best for our lives. Am I making sense? But, but listen, that, that you and I don't always need to know why God. Why God are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why? Just trusting that he loves you, right? And so if we can maybe quit acting like the six-year-old, Right? Everybody may not see it, but man, we're, God sees it because we're acting like it in here and quit complaining and whining and having a meltdown and just go, man, maybe all these things he's asking us to do isn't quite a burden. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 John 5, 3. It says, for this is the love of God. In other words, this is how we demonstrate our love for God, that we keep his commandments. Holy smokes. Did you notice he didn't limit it to one or two or three? He said his commandments. It says, and his commandments are not what? Burdensome. That word actually means they're not oppressive. So if you can understand today, y'all please listen to me. If you can understand that uh, when Jesus saved you, okay, that he saved you out of an oppressive situation, that you were oppressed, that you were a slave to sin, true or not true, Okay, when he rescued you, guess what? He's not going to rescue you and then take you and put more oppression upon you. Are you hearing me? 
The reason I'm saying this is because his commands are not oppressive. They bring freedom. They bring what's his best into our lives. Amen? Amen. So look at John 8 with me if you can here. Then Jesus said to those Jews, or we'll say just to those who believed him, if you abide or if you continue in what? In my word. Remember, obedience is what we're talking about here. And obedience comes from his word and from his voice. If we would continue to obey his word, it says, you are my disciples indeed. The evidence. Right? So watch this. If I can give you a verse, kind of a, an obscure verse, but to maybe would say, hey, I think this captures the heart of what God wants to do with us. It says this in Matthew 21, 6. It says this, says, so the disciples, or so those who followed him, watch this, here's the goal when you leave here today, that they went and did as Jesus commanded them. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right, so before we wrap this point up, let me ask a question. Just with us all right now, is, it, is there an obvious, this is where we've got to get honest in our hearts, is there an obvious area of disobedience happening in our lives right now? Because there's a huge difference between Dog, I blew it. Jesus, forgive me. Then, pff, I'm just going to do it. Right? So, so to ask today, do you feel like you're here and you always got to know why God's doing what he's doing? If I can give you just two cents of a bit of wisdom, 20 plus years of ministry experience, okay? Of preaching the gospel. Every person that I've seen that always has to locate a why typically doesn't get the answer. And what they try to do is they try to put a self-definition on what they think God is doing. And what happens is, is fast forward three months, six months, is typically not what God's really doing. And so they redefine it, they repackage it, and they retell it, well, God's doing this. And guess what? They go again, and that didn't happen. The reason is because all the time he isn't going to tell us why. I, you know, what, what's the answer typically from parents? Mom, why do I got to do this? Dad, why do I got to do this? Because I... Say, just do it. Just do it. Right? And so it's not that God's upset or mad at us, but there's, a, there's an element where he wants us to have faith and trust him and just move in the rhythm of his heart and do what he wants us to do. And what I'm saying is, is everybody's got to find the why constantly. I, I mean, there's, some people just wear me out with a why. Why, why, why? What happens is those folks just keep circling the mountain. Right, And I can tell you, man, look, one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, they haven't moved. Quit trying to figure out the why and just go, Jesus, I'm, yes, yes, yes. I'll relax. Yeah, I'll do what you want me to do, God. Amen? Good preaching if you, if you believe it or not. I'll believe it. So, listen, in order to ask ourselves today, man, do, ever we, do we ever feel burdened by something he's asking us to do? And if I could just give you an extra thought on this last one. I would just ask you to consider what God might be wanting to do on the other side of your obedience. I'm making sense. That, that, listen, listen, there's some of us in this room today that we've read the Bible and we go, I like that and I don't like that. Every one of us have done that somewhere. Yeah? Don't lie to ourselves. <laughs> we've all done it, right? But to understand, man, that what is it that God might be wanting to release into our lives on the other side of our obedience? And if I, you know, whatever, this kind of hit me last service. But if I'm standing here and I'm remaining in my disobedience and God keeps boring a hole in my heart and I know i got to do that thing, what would happen if I just go, okay, obey, and what does he have on the other side of that? I promise you it's better than sitting in disobedience. It's called freedom. 
Amen? Amen. So, you know, I've said again and again and again. Steve, help me here really quick. Okay, watch this. So notice that if I tossed that to Steve and he was holding his coffee cup and his other cup, he probably couldn't have caught that that quick. Right? And there's this idea, man, as long as we set our stuff aside, right, that our hands are free, we're open to receive what God wants. And I've just learned in my life, man, as long as I'm holding on to everything, I can't receive what he has for me. And But the moment I go, okay, God, I, I give it to you, then what happens is there's this corresponding action with God. I let go of what's in my hand, and he lets go of what's in his hand. Am I making sense? So I'd encourage you today to let go of what you've been holding on to because I promise you it's not better than what he wants to give you. The second proof that I want to highlight is this. We've got to keep moving here. Number two is this. Is we go, he wants us to bear fruit. What's the evidence? What's the proof? He wants us to bear fruit. Listen, in biblical language, the word fruit really talks about our actions, but it encompasses more than our actions. It also talks about our thoughts, our feelings, our words, and even our motives. Do you understand that God is interested in all those things? Right? So often we just think, man, I have an emotion, I have a feeling, I have a thought, I have a motive, and we think God goes, ah, it's all right. But there's something deeper there. I'm telling you, He values those things today. Yes? Listen to what he said in Matthew 7, 20, if you don't think it's important. He said, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Right? So if you can grab a hold of this, Jesus said all these things that we're expressing that we don't think people know, guess what? He knows. And at the end of the day, all those things, guess what? Actually show if we follow him or not. And if, and if we are following him, it shows us how deep we are following him. Yes? And so, so often I hear people in the church, they'll refer to that scripture when they're always talking about somebody else. He said, he'll know you by your fruits. Right? He'll know you by your fruits. Like I hear people say that, they're just always ticked off when they say it. But guess what? That verse applies to us too. So maybe we got to own it as well. Right? Like, ouch. Like, ouch. Help me Jesus, Right? All right, so why would he say this? It, maybe if you don't get anything today, grab a hold of this. Okay, it's so simple. But I think the reason that he highlights this is because, and why it's important to him and why he values it, is because the moment that you and I receive Jesus as our Savior by faith, the Bible tells us that God sowed not only his spirit, but he sowed his word into our hearts. And he uses this word, like a seed. Right? And the Bible actually tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that you and I are born again, that we are saved by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Is that true or not true? So listen, if I can maybe take this from, uh, to the natural, to the supernatural, get this idea. If you and I got a bunch of apple seeds and we ran out there and we, and we planted apples, you know, some apple seed in some uh, fertile soil and we sit back and we watch, what's our expectation is our expectation that we're going to get some cantaloupes or that we're going to get some, you know, uh, potatoes, as much as I love a good starch, right? Uh, you know, is that our expectation? No, okay? No, I'm going to expect that there's going to be an apple tree that's going to grow at some point that's going to give me an incredible apple, right? In other words, if we lived in a warmer climate, because we know it ain't happening here, if we took some, uh, you know, warm, I meant some warm, if we took some orange seeds, we planted in some soil, we're going to expect an orange tree, right? And so the idea is this, is likewise, guess what? That God's seed, once again, was planted in the soil of your heart, and that thing should produce God's likeness. 
It should produce God's nature or God's fruit in our lives. So much so that according to Matthew 7, what we just read, that everybody that bumps into it is going to know, oh, that's the fruit that I'm bearing. Am I making sense to you all? Right? Remember the goal of discipleship we've been talking about for weeks now is yes to know him. But it's also to become more like him. And lastly, it's to make him known. How do we make him known? It's by bearing fruit. So what's the fruit that he's actually expecting from our lives? We all know this verse, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces. Let me kind of free you up there really quick. Notice who produces. The Holy Spirit produces it. So we don't have to leave this room and strain and strive and all that stuff and try to force something to happen. That's how you get religious and legalistic. Because you try to make it about you and not about Him. Okay, but at the end of the day, when you partner with Him through relationship, the Holy Spirit will begin to produce these things in your life. In other words, He says, come and be with me and you'll see this flow in your heart. You'll have love. You'll have joy. You'll have peace. You'll have patience. Remember all those people raised your hands? About kids, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and God help us, self-control. So can I say something real quick? Notice that it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will produce this stuff if you got enough sleep last night, if you had breakfast this morning, if your kids are behaving, if you got a good boss, a good job, good benefits. If, if the sun and the stars are lined up right, then man, the Holy Spirit will do this for you. No, in life, and more so in those situations, guess what? You need these things to show up. Amen? Amen. So the truth is, is I think right now, and where we're at as, as a people, as, a, as our own doggone town, right? With people, right, who are losing their minds, okay? Man, the fruit of the Spirit is being tested in us maybe like never before. And can we, can we actually produce the kind of fruit that Jesus wants us to produce? And I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm tempted to produce the opposite. Don't get religious on me now. True, right? Like, love is a hard one. Patience? Like, there's nothing inside of me. Don't email me later on this, by the way. Seriously, don't, okay? Um, there's nothing inside of me that goes, man, let's keep registering people and let's keep having 50 people in a room. Right? But there's a patience that's there because... Uh, because I believe that's what Jesus wants us to do. And it's testing me. Am I making sense? All right, just try to make this relatable, okay? It can, you know, lay whatever is in your world and put it on there. But man, God's called me to lead and he's called me to do things. And I feel like I'm being choked and, and pulled back the entire time. That's hard, right? And so how am I going to respond when I get squeezed? What's going to come out of me? And all the time I haven't liked what's come out of me. Just being honest. So the question is, once again, what kind of fruit are we producing? Is it the kind of fruit that Jesus wants us to produce? Is it the kind of fruit that reflects his nature? Or are we producing fruit that looks more like the world? Let me give you some motivation here. We'll prepare to land this thing. John 15, 8 says this. We read a while ago. It says, when you produce much fruit, you are my what? True disciples. Evidence. Proof. And it says, this brings great glory to my Father. Let me give you the third proof here. Third proof is this, and it's so connected with the other two, it re you really can't separate it, but it's this. It's number three, is that we would love each other. Notice the key words, each other. So, it's, so yes, we're supposed to love people in the world, love the lost. But in this portion, what Jesus is saying, man, people who are under the banner of the gospel, those who call themselves sons and daughters of God, he wants us to love them. 
And how many of you guys know that sometimes it's easier to love a sinner than it is a saint? If you say no, you ain't been in church long enough. <laughs> All right, so we'll help you out. So there's a few people here. No, I'm playing. Anyway, so listen to what Jesus said in John 13, 34. Talking about him taking it serious in proof and evidence. It says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Notice once again, it's not a suggestion. It is a commandment. Love each other. How much? What's the measuring stick? Just as I have loved you. Y'all remember what he did for you? All right. May he served, he sacrificed, may he show compassion and empathy. Going down the list. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. It says, your love for one another will prove, give evidence to the world that you are my disciples. So, l- listen, this may just be me. If the shoe fits, wear it. Uh, in other words, my view, I'm not doing this, but my view, my opinion in the 20 years that I've been a Christian, 22 years, 24 years now that I've been a Christian, I don't think I've ever seen such large portions of the body of Christ fall short of this single commandment as I have in this moment. Right? Like, here's the accurate word. Part of me's frustrated. The other side of me is super grieved. Like, I want to lay on the ground and just cry. Right, because I feel like I keep getting gut punch. Because because I, I'm not a social media person. If you've ever followed me, you see I don't post anything. Okay, um, I don't I don't see much good in a lot of that stuff. Okay, and, and so but but there's this thing that occasionally when I go look, man, I have I have people that I would not say are friends. I would say they have been my family. Right, like like we have done so much life together. That, that I know them a thousand times better than I know my four brothers and even my mom and my dad. I mean, we've done, in the gospel, man, we've done life together. We've had good times. We've had hard times. And what happens is, is there's this group of us, man, we've, we've known each other so well. We used to work together for years and years and years. And what happens now, if you go and you stroll down Instagram and you'll see somebody post something, they're trying to stir something up. They're believing a lie from everything that's going around. And what happens is, is somebody respond and that person just cuts them. And it's like the face-to-face relationship and the heart-to-heart relationship that we've had for 20 years goes out the door because you just want to ride one side. Am I making sense? Because why? Really, the word simply is around this. It's because we disagree. We disagree and about what's taking place in our country. But I want you to think about something. The truth is, is if we were all obeying God's word, and if we were actually all following and obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit, there would be no room for a disagreement, right? Because everybody right now does not have the heart of God, right? Because, because God never comes in his people and causes disunity, okay? So somebody, maybe everybody, isn't heeding the word or the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it's causing them to act not like the kingdom, but like the world, Right. And and so what I want to say to those people, and if it's you today, if you're caught up in all that mess, let me just say this. First and foremost, he's called us to love each other. Okay, And there's this side, if you can understand really quick, that he didn't say that if you agree, if you see everything the same, if you're on the same political side, if you're on the same whatever, then love each other. And there's this understanding that he said there's this standard that we love as Jesus loves. And the last time I checked, Jesus loves me and he loves you even when he doesn't agree with us. 
Am I right or am I wrong? So there's this part that, man, maybe the standard should supersede everything else that's going on. And we need to learn to love. And we need to learn this. We need to learn how to actually dialogue with somebody. And quit hiding behind a screen. But it's almost like, you, you, know when, you know when you was in the world and people would get that, uh, that liquid courage in them? In other words, they drink a lot and then they want to fight. And then you're big and then you're bad. It's like we got social media courage. Right? Come get in somebody's face and say what you just said. Your tune would change. Why? Because there's something, watch, there's something personal about face-to-face where I can actually see somebody that's intimate, that's real, that causes me to care and love for somebody and consider their hearts. When I'm staring at a screen, it's easy to blast somebody. Right? Don't, don't, be, don't be ignorant. Don't do that, please. In the words of Pastor Robert, don't be dumb. All right? Jesus, help me. All right. Y'all are like, who's Pastor Robert? Don't worry about that. Here's the truth. All right? So what is the standard? Okay, how do we do it? My Bible says God is love. God is. He doesn't have it. He is love. In Corinthians 13, it lays out how love operates in this world. And so to ask ourselves today, man, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Man, am I, am I being humble, right? Am I serving people? Am I forgiving people? Am I being easily angered? Am I keeping a record? of Like, like literally, am I operating in the, light, the type of love that he wants? Because at the end of the day, when I'm moving in that kind of love, it's going to produce unity in the body, right? So the question I have for you today is this, is are you loving others like Jesus does? Are you acting like the world because it's influencing you and it's putting outward pressure on you to act like them? Don't, don't be tossed to and fro by the wind, gang. Amen? All right, so as we close today, I just want to say this. Listen, all three of those proofs, none of those become easy for us. None of those become natural to us. Am I right? Do, do any of those things come easy to us? Like, is it easy to, like, naturally obey? Or are we naturally bent towards rebellion? Is it natural to go bear fruit, or do we want to do our own deal? Is it natural to go, oh, let me love everybody like Jesus loves them? It's, it's not natural, okay? In other words, it's that none of us obey 100% of the time, none of us bear good fruit 100% of the time, and none of us consistently uh, love like Jesus loved 100% of the time. But here's my point, Okay is that the good news is that Jesus told us in John 15 that he told us a way that we could actually do those things more times than not. In other words, there's a source that we have that will help us do those things more often than not. And it's simply in this. He said again and again and again and again. If you don't hear nothing else, hear this because it's the solution. It's abiding in him. It's abiding. It's being with God in a relationship of actually opening the book and reading it and letting it read you. It's actually praying. It's actually having a private time of worship. It's actually being open and having your heart going, God, I want to obey your word and I I want to hear your voice. What do you want me to do? And when you begin to continue, when you begin to abide in him, good things begin to happen. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for every person that's in this room today. Father, I thank you for where they're at in the journey. And Lord, if they are here today and they're like, man, I haven't even started that journey. uh, I would simply encourage them today, Lord, to say, uh, Jesus, I need you. Would you save me? Would you rescue me? Would you come and make me whole and, uh, and, and help me to begin to live for you? And so, Lord, for the rest of us that are on this journey, God, we want to be people that bear good fruit. We want to be people who obey your word. God, we want to be people, God, who love like you love. And we just simply cry out to you today, Jesus, help us. 
Help us do it, God. Help us to abide in you and to walk with you so we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.